So we're reading the whole of Isaiah 53 this morning. Uh, It's on page 741, if you have a standard-sized church Bible, and it's on page 1109, if you have a large print Bible. It's the whole of Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Just a word of prayer then before we begin. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Wherever you go all over the world, you will find priests. If people have some idea of a God, they're aware that he's bigger than them, greater than them, holier than them. And although the priests are all very different because their religions are very different, they all have this awareness in human nature that we're not good enough for God. And we need someone to mediate, someone to represent us, somebody to to bring us into the presence of that God. And that is the role 
of the priest. The most familiar priests to us are the priests found in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of teaching about priests. There are 700 references to priests in the Old Testament. And as we heard in the talk to the children, all this Old Testament religion, tabernacle, temple, ritual, sacrifices, offering, priests, it's all one big visual aid. It's one big model. It's one big teaching help to us in order that we should remember these three things. That God, our Creator, is a holy and a great God. Secondly, that our offences against him, which the Bible calls sin, block us out from his presence. But thirdly, and most importantly, this great, holy, righteous God is a God of grace who has provided for us a way for us to have access to him. And that is through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to deal with our sin and to be our priest. I'm here as a servant of those who invite me to preach to you and who give me my subject and the passage to preach from. And when they say, please, will you preach from Isaiah chapter 53, you realize that we're going to be knee-deep in Christian truth to do this. So, in order to try to help us to focus on this element of Jesus being the priest, I want you to look at that chapter in your Bible and look at the very last verse and the very last words of verse 12. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There's a lot more in Isaiah 53. We'll look at some of it. But our text and what I want you to home in on this morning is he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So the first thing we have to consider is this is in the Old Testament. And Jesus is in the Old Testament. Yes, the Bible is divided into two parts, a New Testament, an Old Testament, and most of what you know about Jesus you learn from his birth in Bethlehem and then his life and so on. But Jesus is also in the Old Testament because Jesus is really the theme of the whole Bible. Although the Bible was written by many writers through many centuries, using many styles, the same Holy Spirit inspired all the writings that comprise our Bible. And the Spirit focuses on one story and on one person. The story is the dramatic love story of how the God of creation, which was ruined by sin, has been has rescued us by his grace and will take us into his eternal kingdom. And the central figure of this love story 
is Jesus the lover who came to redeem and to save and to be our priest. So you find in the Old Testament a lot about Jesus foreshadowed, for example, in stories about the kings, King David. And we'll hear more about that next Sunday. You'll see in the Old Testament wonderful teaching about the Good Shepherd in the Shepherd's Psalms. You'll find that the incarnate Saviour of Calvary is prefigured in this Old Testament story. And one day he will be the bride of that celestial city. The thread that runs throughout the whole Bible is the story of Jesus. So to come to Isaiah 53, it's Jesus who is this servant that Isaiah is speaking of. Isaiah was a prophet who spoke to the people of Israel when they were in Babylon and in all that Isaiah wrote in this wonderful book that we have there are four poems, four songs and they're called servant songs because they figure the servant. Now this is 800 years before Jesus was born at Bethlehem. And it's one of the fascinating things about the Bible that can tell us things beforehand that are going to happen much, much later. But God is saying through Isaiah to God's people who are in deep trouble, God hasn't forgotten you. And God's going to work this out. And he's going to work it out through his servant Jesus. He's going to come and deal once for all with the big problem of their sin. Now it's remarkable detail and some of you I hope on Thursday evening are going to your home groups and you're going to uh, look at the way in which there are so many uh, features of the life and story of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53. One of the things that interests us about this is that it even uses the past tense for future events. What does the text say? He bore the sin of many. That's a past tense. But he hadn't done it in Isaiah's day. He hadn't done it for 800 years later until Jesus came and fulfilled this prophecy. But nevertheless, because God's story is complete, because it's certain to happen, Isaiah can say, he's done it. And when Jesus died on the cross to be our saviour, he could cry out, it is finished. He was a priest for us there. So it's no surprise that we find the Old Testament speaking to us about Jesus. In fact, when you turn to the New Testament, you'll find there's some very direct quotations from Isaiah 53, which are in the New Testament. There's one in Matthew, speaking about uh, something that Jesus did, and he took up our infirmities, infirmities and bore our diseases, and he quotes Isaiah 53. And then there's a well-known story in the New Testament, isn't there, about a man who is uh, in his uh, carriage, and he's going along and he's reading from the Old Testament. He doesn't know what he's reading, and so he reads this scripture 
he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. A few verses later, it tells us that Philip began with that very passage and began to preach to him about Jesus. There is no doubt at all that this Old Testament story, this prophecy, this servant is a picture to us of Jesus. Before we go any further, let me just uh, add one thing. And that is to say that whenever you read the Old Testament, whenever you hear the Old Testament, whenever you think about the Old Testament, you must think of Jesus. You must look for him there. You must say, what has this got to do with Jesus? Please, I beg of you, we don't read the Old Testament as Jews who don't know Jesus. We read the Old Testament through the eyes of the New Testament. We have seen Jesus in the New Testament. And so this whole Bible, this one story, means that we should always be looking for him. And if you hear a preacher, even from this pulpit who preaches from the Old Testament and doesn't tell you what it has to Jesus, speak to him at the door and ask him, what has that got to do with Jesus? Because we must always remember the whole Bible is about Jesus, the Old Testament is about Jesus, and Jesus is there. So let's look more closely at Jesus being a priest. Jesus is a priest. Now, as Neil said to the children, the priest is needed because our sin is a simply massive problem. Whenever we think about a holy God, we have to remember that we need a priest because he is so pure. He is deserving of such honor that any sin is something which is an offense to his majesty. I try to think of some of the pictures the Bible gives us about sin. It tells us it's a weight which we can't throw off. It tells us it's a criminal record that we can't ignore. It tells us it's a blood stain which we can't wash away. It tells us it's a brick wall that we can't break down. When the Bible talks about sin, it's not talking about some small thing, but some great thing. Now we all know that, and we know the word sin. But what we so easily don't do is to think about, what does that mean in particular? What particular sins should we be thinking about here? Well, let me give you just one example to start with. The Bible tells us, it is our duty to thank God for everything. Not just Christians, but everybody in the world has been created by God and given life. He is the giver of life. We should thank God we're alive. And on a day like this, when you see the sunshine, when you realize that frost that you had to scrape off your car this morning will be gone in a few hours, and we've got the beauties of creation around us, we should be thanking God for these things. You don't thank God that you've got two good legs to walk on until one of them's broken. So we should be thanking God as we walk out of here today that we have got two good legs and we can walk out here on our own. We've got so many things that we should be thankful for. And yet, 
one of our most frequent sins is ingratitude. And throughout the Old Testament, God so many times says to the people of Israel, think of all I've done for you, how I took you out of Egypt, how I provided for you a land flowing with milk and honey, and what did you do? You forgot me. You didn't think about thanking me. Unthankfulness is one of the most serious sins of the whole of human life. Let me think of something else as well. We often think of sin as being something that we do. But do you remember, when Jesus was asked about sin, he said, what about how you think? The commandments are about things that we do and don't do. But Jesus said, if you even think about it, that's sin. He used the example of something which is rampant in our generation. What about the sins of the mind? What about lust? Jesus said, you know, if your imagination is lusting in that way, it's the same as if you had committed the act of adultery. Even the hatred that you see in so much around us. He said, that's as if you went out and murdered somebody. Sin is not trivial. Sin is not something out there. It's not something that other people commit. The Bible tells us all have sinned, and that includes you and me. Our sin is a massive problem. And that's why we need a priest. And so it's such an encouragement to find here, in our text, in the Bible, this matter of sin is something Jesus dealt with. He made atonement for us. He bore the sin of many. There are many other references in Isaiah 53 saying the same kind of thing. Let's go back just for a moment to verses 4 and 5 and 6. Have you got your Bible there? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him by his wounds we are healed and here it is we all like sheep have gone astray not those people out there we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all on the cross of Calvary he bore the sin of many. He took the punishment that we deserved. He paid our penalty. Our texts, he bore the sin of many, refers to that one final offering. Even in our children's chorus, we were talking about his being crucified. And he did it for us. Now the great thing is, 
But once that atonement is made, once that penalty has been paid, there is no longer the barrier between us and God. That's why the curtain was torn apart. That's the significance of the atonement. That is why this barrier that was between us has been taken away so we're reconciled to God. We can live with him. And notice it's the past tense. He did it. No wonder Jesus said, it is finished. On the ground then of that act of atonement, the text goes on to say, he made intercession for the transgressors. The New Testament book of Hebrews is full of these references, isn't it? For what Jesus did for us as a priest. And it explains how the Old Testament priests who were intermediaries that went into the presence of God on behalf of his people. And now Jesus has done this. And now Jesus is able to take positive action on our behalf. Because the atonement is made, he can plead that act of atonement in fulfilling God's law and as an advocate in a court of justice he can plead our cause before God the New Testament shows us that Jesus was qualified to be an intercessor to be a priest because of what he did on the cross No wonder the New Testament says we can now go to this throne and we can find grace to help in time of need. And when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within, upward we look and see him there who made, past tense, who made an end of all our sin. Not just once, but whenever we're aware of our sin, we can look back to this atonement. So I want to move on to see how this intercession works out. Jesus is a priest. Jesus is praying for us. Now it's a remarkable thing that the Bible shows us that though the world is made up of millions and millions of people in our generation through every generation, There is only one God and there is only one priest needed for all the sins of all the people who ever lived in all the world. How can that be? Because it's not the act of a mere man. It's the act of the man who is God, who is perfect himself, who never sinned who was able to effect in his atoning sacrifice such a majestic act that there is no need for any other sacrifices nor any other priest. There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, Paul writes to Timothy, because his atoning death is sufficient for all sins, is sufficient for yours and for mine. And that's the gospel message we have for the world, isn't it? 
That's why we have a missionary committee. That's why we're concerned about reaching out to people in Long Crendon about Christmas. That's why we want people in all over the world to know this message. They must know that all those other kind of priests we saw on the screen, they're all useless because they're not needed. There is one God, one mediator, one priest, and Jesus has done it all for all. How? His one act can be sufficient and pay the penalty for all is something only God knows. But God does know. And this is God's act. He did it. So I want to say two things about this because it's so important. So important. First of all, Jesus is where you go with your guilt. It's to Jesus you go when we are aware of our guilt, when we are feeling our guilt, when we're thinking about our guilt. This massive problem of sin, which keeps on coming up, even within the Christian life, is something which we can take to the cross. Once the Holy Spirit shows us how guilty we are, how helpless we are, that conviction can be a huge weight on our shoulders. What can we do about that? I love hearing people giving their testimony, telling us how they come to Jesus. But I love it even more when they say, but I felt my sin was an offence against God. And I knew that I could not save myself. Because then they're going to see how Jesus did it. And how Jesus acted on their behalf. You'll get bored if I go on about Pilgrim's Progress, but if you haven't read it, you really must get a modern translation of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and read it. If you haven't done, you're ill-educated. It's something which you really ought to do, because it's full of stories about things like that happened to us. And you know that when he got to the cross, what happened to this man? You can see there, his sin, which was on his back like a big load, fell off. And he started to jump around for joy and sing. Because what had happened is, he'd seen and felt his guilt, and he took it to the cross, and his guilt was taken away. What does that mean? It means that now... He is reconciled to God. It means that now he has a new Lord. He has a new relationship with God. He has a new motive, a new desire, not to be self-centered, but to be Christ-centered. There's a big subject which we haven't got time to go into this morning. But we're very concerned now, aren't we, about how Christians should live out our life in society today. And there's a whole bag of issues called Christian ethics and there are lots of people who have got different views about why Christians should act in a Christian way this is why we should act in a Christian way because we are thanking Jesus for what he did for us the spring of Christian morality is gratitude it's seeing what Jesus has done saying what does he deserve now he deserves my whole life and it's gratitude for his dealing with our sin that gives us the desire to go on and 
to submit to his lordship when it's not comfortable and to accept his way when we don't like it and be prepared to say I will leave him to choose what makes us ready to do that is that we are thanking Jesus he did so much for me there's nothing he can ask too much from me but then Jesus is where we go with our weaknesses with our weaknesses one of the features of the Old Testament priests which is explained many times in the letters of the Hebrews is that he was one of us the priest was appointed from within Israel and when Jesus came to be a priest he came to be a man so the one who did this atoning work the one who is our priest is God able to do it but he's man able to sympathize with us and the Bible explicitly says he became flesh and blood so he could sympathize with our weaknesses now we know a lot about weaknesses don't we we've got all kinds of weaknesses not just physical weaknesses we've got a lot of those and the older we get the more we feel them but we've got moral weaknesses we've got weaknesses of our temperament of our character of the things that are happening in our life round about we've all got our weaknesses and, and we're apt to get, let them get us down and to feel we can't cope with all this what does the Bible say? it says we have such a high priest who will sympathise with our weaknesses and we can take them to him and he will take them to God we take our weaknesses to Jesus our priest and he presents them to God that's what intercession is about he made intercession for the transgressors we can come to him in any circumstances at any time and you know what he said we'll do we'll find grace to help us in our time of need that's what it means to have a priest have you still got your Bible open? please turn to the very first verse of Isaiah 53 the very first verse the very first words it says who has believed our message Isaiah had this immense privilege of being entrusted with this message to give to Israel to write down and to be given to us this morning but they didn't believe him and because they didn't believe him it didn't do them any good the final question that I want to ask you this morning is this who has believed this message you see to say it's true and it's in the Bible it must be true is not enough believing that Jesus is a priest means trusting him means thanking him for what he did on the cross it means coming to him with all our 
guilt and our weaknesses. If we're going to say we believe this message, we're going to say it must change our lives. It must bring us into a position where this matter of sin is a problem to us and we take it to Jesus and we see what he's done and we thank him and we love him and we praise him and we serve him. Faith is what makes the difference to whether this is going to do us any good or whether it's going to be forgotten. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He always is alive. Wherever you go, whoever you are, whatever the problems, he's always there for you. No wonder. It's such a wonderful, stirring encouraging, blessed truth to us that this Jesus who came to be a baby at Christmas came to be an atoning sacrifice and a high priest for us ever living to intercede for us. Is he your priest? Do you trust him? and come to him.